They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now, they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Power Trip of Wrestling. I am Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz. And John, today on the show, we have the second half of the tag team PG-13. That is Jamie Dundee, or JC Ice, as he is known when he is alongside his tag team partner, Wolfie D, who we just had the pleasure of speaking with about a week ago. Now, John, just want to say quickly before we get into this episode that the thoughts and statements reflected in this episode are those strictly of Jamie Dundee and not necessarily those of the two-man power trip of wrestling. It tends to get a little saucy at times. He definitely says things that are a little uncharacteristic for content on this show, but with the uh, perspective of looking at, we now have the another tag team in the books. We have PG-13 completed. John, I want to turn it over to you, get your thoughts and reflections of this interview with Jamie Dundee, and uh, kind of, uh, why don't you give me your take on what he had to say, and man, did he cover a lot. Well, Chad, you're right. This was a crazy one from J.C. Ice, a.k.a. Jamie Dundee, the former 16-time, woo! Tag team champion in the USWA, multi-time other champion in the USWA. I mean, he's he's done it all. He's wrestled around the world, WWF, ECW, WCW, like I mentioned, the USWA. I mean, this guy's father was obviously the legendary Bill Dundee, so obviously uh, he's very familiar with the Memphis area. And obviously he's very familiar with the business, but his take on wrestling, his take on the business, his take on uh, wrestling today, I mean, it's just, it's almost like, you know, you say uh, can't miss TV. Well, th- this is can't listen podcast. I mean, you, I mean, you can't miss this one. You, you gotta, you, I mean, you can't miss this. You gotta listen to it. But also keep in mind, he, he goes full on, no bullshit. Hardcore answers. I mean, he's not going to uh, skirt around any issues. He's not going to pussyfoot around. He's going to, like we've had lately, which is great. I mean, we, we're kind of on a roll with these straight shooters. He just tells it like it is. And he tells it, you know, what he thinks about it. Um, maybe he was drinking a little bit, like he mentions, which is uh, pretty funny, uh, as he was on his way to a, to a wrestling show. But uh, that's just what you get with uh, PG-13, uh, and especially J.C. Ice, who's a little, little bit of the crazy member of the crew. But, you know, some of the stuff he says, obviously, is, you know, his opinion, and, and you can't uh, deny that, and you can't take that away from him. Some of it's, a little, you know, a little kooky, a little crazy, a little out there. But we love it because we just love getting that straight, honest opinion from him, that straight answer. And, you know, like I said, he's been basically in the wrestling business since he was a kid. And uh, he's basically still in the business today, obviously, and uh, still wrestling. And he's got some very, very strong opinions about his thoughts on the business, his thoughts on the nation of domination, his thoughts on Vince McMahon, his thoughts on racism in wrestling. I mean, so you get a lot of... uh, a lot of expletives, if, if you will, from Jamie Dundee, which we don't mind. But, you know, he it's his opinion, and uh, you got to take it for what it's worth. And and you know what? you got to love his candidness at times, and you got to love his passion, and you got to love the intensity because uh, J.C. Ice, a.k.a. Jamie Dundee, is just a straight shooter. And I feel like uh, the last couple interviews we've done with uh, Mo from Men on a Mission, Renee Dupree, of course, Wolfie D's former tag team partner. We've been getting a lot of guys that just straight shoot, which we love here. We don't want any bullshit. We want straight answers. We want their, you know, honest to God opinions. And with JC Ice, you get that. And it's funny because the, you know, you think about PG-13, we just had Ron Wolfie D. We'd love to get both guys of the tag team on to get their opinions on, on you know, on on the matters that they were both involved in, obviously, and you get a lot of great stuff. The Legion of Doom, 
you get a lot of stuff about the nation of domination, a lot of stuff about the USWA, a lot of stuff about Jerry Lawler, obviously a lot of stuff about his father, Bill Dundee. And you always get somewhat of, of the same answer, but some of it is a little bit of a, of a different opinion. It's funny because J.C. Ice, you know, you could just be like, oh, he's a crazy member of the group. And Wolfie D, you know, he's a more calm, uh, controlled member of the group. So it's funny the dynamic between both. If you listen to Wolfie D, which I highly suggest you do because that is a great, great episode within itself. Then you listen to this one. I mean, nonstop entertainment from both of them, but there's there's definitely a dynamic between them. They're definitely two completely different people, uh, almost a little bit of opposites in, in a certain way, but just great, great stuff from both guys, and I highly encourage you to go listen to the Wolfie D interview as well, and please enjoy a great interview with J.C. Ice, a.k.a. Jamie Dundee, because it is intense. It's definitely intense, and that's one way of putting it, to say the least. The interview is quite intriguing. Uh, it's it's quite the listen. Uh, so please, you know, John, before uh, we turn it over to the interview, why don't you hit us with a little two-man power trip of wrestling business? Yes, and now on to some TMPT business, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Wrestling Pal and at Two-Man Power Trip. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube. Always, we are uploading great clips at least three times a week, so please check us out on there and subscribe. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Also, check out the feed with all all great, great past episodes, including one with the late, great Dusty Rhodes, Sergeant Slaughter, Dean Ambrose, Kane from the WWE, Jesse the Body Ventura, George the Animal Steel, Bushwhacker Luke, and so, so many more. So check us out there on iTunes. Also, the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Also, you can check us out on the I-95 Sports Network. Yes, put that in the little Google machine there, I-95 Sports Network, and check us out. We are live and in color every Monday night at 6 p.m. Eastern on the I-95 Sports Network. So please don't forget to check us out there now. Without any further ado, one of the most candid episodes we've ever done. An episode where we may have had to bleep some stuff, but we won't. An episode that is such a straight shoot. It's just unbelievable. This is must listen. You gotta hear this. This is a great one, folks. You will enjoy it. Highly entertaining. Former 16-time USWA Tag Team Champion. Former member of the Nation of Domination. He's done it all. He's wrestled everywhere. He's the son of the legendary Bill Dundee. He is J.C. Ice, a.k.a. Jamie Dundee. Please enjoy. All right, so joining us on the line today is a guy who needs no introduction because we're dying to talk to him, and that is former member of PG-13. He's been in the USWA as a multiple, multiple, multiple-time tag team champion. He's an original member of the Nation of Domination. Jamie Dundee, JCI, thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man, I appreciate it, bro. Thank you very much. Uh, the, the, the main reason I'm joining you is I got something to talk about. <laughs> Well, that's fine. Tell us right off the bat. What do you guys talk about? What's been going on with you lately? Um, uh, I'm doing better than Jimmy Snooker. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I believe. I mean, that does just look at the, the uh, 27-foot cage couldn't confine him, but a 4 by 8 wheel. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, so what do you got going on? So you're getting back in the ring? What 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 can we see out of Jamie Dundee? Man, I guess, I guess you know, it's one of them things that uh, I don't give a fuck. I guess that's what all wrestlers do. We either die in a hotel by ODing, and I quit getting high and doing cocaine and shit about seven years ago, so I guess we just die in the ring. I, I mean, I've looked in the paper every fucking Sunday. Not one ad says wanted. Used, washed up wrestler. Nowhere. Nowhere does it say that. Or if in the case, if that was the case, there'd be a lot of guys like Ric Flair and fucking the Razor Ramon. They all have jobs still, but no, no, not one ad in the paper says washed up, used up, has been wrestling. Nowhere. So I guess I, I gotta go do what I know. I fucking hate it. I hate the wrestling business today. I hate getting in the car. I hate the driving part. So I, uh, I have to, I have to drink a lot of beer and go wrestle because. I don't know, man. It's just, uh, I just can't stand it. I guess because I've done it so long that, uh, 
it's just too old to me, man. I just fucking, I can't stand it, but I have to because my wife told me to. So I'm back in the car, and right now me and my brother-in-law, J.D. Thunder, the white trash rednecks, are headed to Tullahoma, Tennessee. Tomorrow night we're going to be in Lewisburg and uh, Lebanon, Tennessee, double shot. Then Sunday in Lewisburg, and then we'll be back the next weekend, Tullahoma, Lewisburg, and Lebanon. Now, that's a, that's a perfect segue for my next question. That is, I would love to hear your take on the current state of the wrestling business. The robot factory that is WWE just punching out guys left and right that all look alike. Everything's different, but what's your take on what's going on in the wrestling business? Well, first of all, I, I don't, I really don't, I haven't watched, I haven't watched wrestling probably in, well, fuck, I ain't never watched wrestling unless I'm on the tape. If I'm not on the show, I ain't fucking gotta watch it because if once I see me, I, I think I'm the best. I love me. I think I'm the fucking greatest. There's nothing better than me. So once I see me, I don't want to watch nobody else. And that's, I guess, because growing up in the wrestling business, I bet Dale Earnhardt Jr. doesn't watch fucking NASCAR. Bet you. Oh yeah. <laughs> and my 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 take yeah, my take on the wrestling business though, bro, is it, it it's not the wrestling kids' fault. All these kids that they just want to fucking wrestle. And I can understand that and it's not their fault, but Vince McMahon has taken it to a, a place where uh, well, I don't know if it's a good place. I already lost fucking I already went to bed a billionaire and woke up with seven hundred million dollars in the bank. That sounds like a lot of money, but when you lose three hundred million dollars in one fucking night in a twenty four hour period, he does that two more times, he's broke. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Now that's a that's a hell of a chunk of change to just leave under the pillow, but you know, I mean, could you have predicted something like this with the way it was going so corporate? You know, they were changing to be more of a TV kids project. You know, they were they were really protecting what they did. I mean, it kind of saw it going this way, but, you know, it's kind of disappointing when you look at it. But here's the thing. It's like anything. The fucking mafia, magic, wrestling, the circus, anything. Once you let the outside world in, you fucking kill it. You stop it because... I knew David Copperfield didn't make the Statue of Liberty disappear, but I didn't want to fucking know how he did it because I saw it disappear, and I loved it. I thought it was great, and I didn't care how he did it, but I knew it didn't actually fucking go nowhere. Same with wrestling. Uh, wrestling, if, if the people can fucking turn the TV on and call the match, then obviously, uh, it, 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 why would you pay to see it? Because it's just... If everybody knows wrestling was a work, but they didn't know how. And once you let the outside world in by making a show called Tough Enough, by fucking doing the things that Vince McMahon did. And look, Vince McMahon didn't do that for wrestling. He did that for Vince McMahon. And, and he don't give a fuck what I'm saying about him driving to Tullahoma, Tennessee. He's got a billion dollars in the bank. But the point is, for the wrestlers, that, that, that there's fucking hundreds of guys that can't get a job because... They're wrestlers. They're real wrestlers. They come from old school, and they know their character wouldn't do that. So Vince McMahon said, fuck you. If you don't want to do what I want you to do, I'll make somebody that'll do it. And that's, it's not the wrestling guy's fault. It's, it's really, it, all they want to do is fucking wrestle, but Vince McMahon has, has uh, I tell everybody, he has a video game with real people. And he's killed them. He's fucking discarded them. He's fucking OD'd them. He's done everything you do in video games. That Grand Theft Auto is no different than fucking Vince McMahon playing with real people. That's what I feel. Now, we're talking about the business, obviously. How did you, I mean, obviously, your father is real but how did you get into the wrestling business? Did you just say, I want to follow my father? No, never. Like I said, uh, a wrestler doesn't want to fucking wrestle. Uh, Second-generation wrestler, I hated wrestling. I hated wrestling growing up. I liked wrestling when I would go to wrestling because people would touch me and tell me how great I was. And since I was eight years old, I would sell fucking kisses to fat chicks for a dollar. So uh, they said, oh, Dundee, can I have a hug? Can I have a kiss? And I'd say, yeah, they're fucking hugs are a dollar and kisses are two dollars, ma'am. And they would say, well, here's five dollars, little Dundee. Give me two of each. And fuck, but the point was I, I knew how to manipulate, I guess is what you say, but it's hard to separate that fantasy world and then go out here in the real fucking world, and that's what happens to the wrestlers who OD in hotel rooms. No, everybody fucking wants that one more shot, man. I saw a video, my brother-in-law played a video for me today of fucking Michael Hayes singing the song at Terry Gordy's grave. And it's fucking great. Everybody wants to go back, man. Everybody would love to go back to fucking the greatest time in their life. But we can't, man. We have to move. Time moves on. 
the world moves on, internet, every, uh, there's so many things that ran against it. So as far as the wrestling world, it's a mafia magic fucking underground world, and once you let the outside world in, you kill it. And Vince McMahon knew that, so what he did was he said, if you can't beat them, join them, and he let them in, and he's riding high on the horse. Now, uh, back to you, though. When did you start, obviously, on your father, but when did you start training? 1986. I was the dummy in the wrestling school. Everybody body slammed Jamie. Everybody on drag Jamie. Everybody fucking hip tossed Jamie. Everybody fucking slammed Jamie. Long before I ever wanted to be a wrestler, my dad would say, I'll give you 150 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever, come up for a Sunday and let every, all these, because he didn't want to fucking do it. And I'm like, okay. And then uh, you, you, once once you get bit by the bug and easy money, easy women, easy drugs, hell, when you're 16, 17 years old, that seems like the top of the world. Now, when did you actually, debut? I guess it was a couple of years later, you actually made your in, in-ring debut? Yeah, 1980. I uh, we worked for a, a company in Knoxville, Tennessee that was owned by Robert Fuller's brother, Ron Fuller, called USA. It was when you it was when Continental had split. Ron Fuller went one way and David Woods went the other. And so my dad became the booker. So my dad, the rock and roll RPMs, Tommy Lane and Mike Davis and me would we would do the Knoxville territory. Knoxville, Virginia, I mean fucking long, long, long assholes because we lived in Nashville. But we would go home every fucking night, man, but I mean, my, my dad and them were making shit pots of money. They paid me $15 a night to be the manager. So that's uh, that's kind of how I learned. I became the manager. and, and uh, But I guess when you're a second generation, whatever, in, in the entertainment world, you're always in the mirror cutting interviews or, or fucking, you're always being a part of the show in your mind anyway. So it just came natural, and I became the little heel manager, and, and fucking everybody started to hate me, and it worked well, I guess. And what was it like being the son of a of a legendary guy like Joel Dundee? Was that a lot of pressure on you? No, nah, it wasn't no pressure. He's a, you got to remember, it's, it's a different world we live in today. My father was raised by a man who was born in 1921. You know what I'm saying? My father's grandfather raised him. You know, actually, it was 1891 or some shit. Any fucking way. My dad was born in 1943, and he went from Scotland to Australia when he was 13 years old. So he was a, a tough, was, he still is, a tough taskmaster type of fucking guy. You know, it's, the children should be seen and not heard syndrome. Uh, it's, it's, children weren't really people. They were just fucking items, I guess you could say. And so I didn't like the guy. I mean, he didn't get along, but, I mean, I was a fucking wild child. But, I mean, of course I would be. I'm around fucking people that tell me how great I am, give me money and drugs and from a very young age of 10 or about, when I was four years old, my dad and Tommy Rich got me drunk and pierced my ear. So in 1975, when I went to kindergarten, my teacher's like, you can't wear that earring. I, went to, I lived in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Our neighbors were Conway Twitty, the Oak Ridge Boys, and Johnny Cash, and Bobby Bear. And so in that world, we were the fucking, we were the outsiders, man. We had motorcycles and pit bull dogs, and we were the fucking wrestlers. But my old man made more money a week than they did. So when I went to school, they're like, Mr. Dundee, you can't wear that earring. I'm like, why not? My daddy put it there. And, you you know, if you did something wrong, they just whipped your fucking ass and beat the shit out of you because that's what the world was back then. You know, it, it's a total... So I didn't like me and him, never saw eye to eye, man. So when I became the little heel manager, the people knew that. And because same town every fucking week for 40 years, the people know the real truth and the real person. And... So it worked because the people said, hell yeah, it's really done. These boys wilder and fuck. He don't care. He always rebels. So we just put it on television and ran with it. But I made $15 a night, and I think they made fucking 2000 I don't know. Huh. Well, you would move on to, uh, you know, eventually um, a little bit down the road to a great, great underrated athlete, the USWA, ran by Jerry Garrett and Jerry Lawler. But what are your memories of the USWA with Lawler and Garrett? Lawler paid good. Jarrett kept all the fucking money. <laughs> but but the reason being is, I guess, because Jarrett had to fucking pay for Jeff and Jennifer and Jason. And, and see, Lawler just was one of the boys, so he knew how to fucking take care of the guys. But Lawler was also, you know, if I don't know if you've ever read his book or whatever, but Lawler was anti-drug. And Lawler, Lawler was... 
You know, all everything everything you did seemed like it was never right for Jerry Lawler. <laughs> I don't get what it was. It just, now that wrestling part and the angles that drew money and shit, he he would definitely give you your pops. But as far as anything else, he would fucking just every time I seen him, it seemed like he was knocking me. I'm like, fuck you, my daddy beat you, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> You remember that feud? I guess pretty good. Lawler and Dundee in Memphis. Yeah, yeah. I remember fucking waking up and my dad was bald, and then I remember a few weeks later I woke up, and my mom was bald, and I was like, "Well, fuck me and my sister next to what? Fuck y'all doing bald, man?" And, and they're like, "Ah, oh, but to, I mean, in their credit, it was 1979, and they fucking paid my mom ten or fifteen grand. A house didn't cost but eight grand." So what the fuck? For two fucking houses, ain't a bitch on this planet wouldn't shave her head right now. Huh. That, that is crazy, and it is funny looking back. But if I could talk about you and your infamous tag partner, Wolfie D, you were obviously J.C. Ice at this point, and you guys formed PG-13. What was the thought process going into creating that basically white rapper image? Well... Chris Champion, a guy named, y'all know who Chris Champion is? His brother was Mark Starr. They were the wild side. Him and a guy named Sean Roll had made a tag team, and they were called the New Breed. And they, I guess it did, I don't know what had happened to it or whatever, but we were in, as a matter of fact, we were in Shelbyville, Tennessee, the little town right down here beside where I'm going right now. And me and Wolfie were wrestling against each other, and Wolfie had this short song, and he was calling himself DJ Wolfie D, and he was like a little white rapper. And Chris Champion said, you know what, y'all two ought to do that together. And there's a cab stand where we wrestled at. As a matter of fact, they still wrestle there today uh, in Shelbyville. And there was an old hubcap laying over there. So I could fuck, as a rib, I, I put a rope around that hubcap and I spray painted. Actually, I spray, I didn't spray paint nothing on it this time because we didn't have a name. I just put the hubcap around my neck and I said, we're going to wear this to the rain. This will be the finish. We'll just bash him in the fucking head with this and we'll go to the house. <laughs> and it started out as a rib and a joke, and by God, it did. Every fucking job we ever got in every company was because of that hubcap, because it was so unique. And John Cena, you're welcome, motherfucker. And it's, uh, for the, you know, he just put a spinner on his because it's 2015, but we didn't have spinners back then there, Johnny Boy. And them shorts, I wonder how he got that. As a matter of fact, come to think of it, Wolfie was slash, and he was the prodigy. And fuck, Wolfie, you talk too much, man. John Cena stole my gimmick, that's all I'm going to say. But we, but we used to fucking put the hubcap on, and that got a job everywhere in every company. And uh, it was unique, and it was something different, and that's what the wrestling world has always been about, something different. And like you said, they're all the same today. If you're not different, how the fuck is anybody going to know who you I watched the show a couple times in my life in the last 10 years, and I know some of them guys and did not know that was them because they look just like the last five guys, like you said. So, I mean, the wrestling business is... Uh, it's like anything, man. Elvis Presley was the first one to shake his fucking ass on television, so they put the camera from waist up. It's like anything. Once, once it keeps progressing, I mean, I held the wrestling business. We did everything in the wrestling business except kill a man, so they fucking killed Owen Hart. So now, now we've done everything in the wrestling business you can do. Huh. Well, going back to what you mentioned about John Cena, we, we mentioned uh, him to Wolfie, and he was saying that you know he's not, you know, he's an imitator, he's an imposter. But do you think that uh, John Cena basically, you know, he was kind of alluded to it, but do you think he just went as far and just stole the gimmick just to help write for you guys? No, 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 I don't think so. I believe that he got a job, and Vince Man said, "Kid, I want you to do this," and he said, "Yes, sir," and he put it on. And the rest is fucking history, baby, because he's the only person on the planet to ever fucking knock Fred Flintstone off a Fruity Pebbles box. So that's big shit right there, bro. <laughs> that is true. Uh, another uh, another couple guys that he had mentioned, who I think is, you know, pretty accurate, kind of, kind of stole your gimmick a little bit. They adapted to the PG-13 guy you know very well, and that's Brian Baller. And him and Scott Taylor made uh, Scotty's body and cool. Do you feel that they uh, lifted your gimmick uh, from you guys? No, I don't feel they lifted it. I feel Brian stole that motherfucker all the way down to the Finnish name called Hip Hop Drop. So, Brian, if you're listening, you motherfucker, fuck you. You owe me money. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like I said, once again, I believe me and Wolfie fucking did what we did up there, and we got fucked up, and we missed planes and flights, and we had fucking cab bills for $500 or whatever. 
and so Vince said, I like the gimmick, but I don't like the guys. <laughs> so, so I need to put it on somebody else and update it, and that's what he did. He updated it. But, I mean, Public Enemy the same way. ECW said, fuck, that gimmick's over. And to my credibility, Wolfie's credibility, I remember Randy Hale coming to me one day and saying, Jamie, you boys are getting over like a motherfucker, man, and your phone's about to start ringing. Hmm. I said, what? And he said, people are going to start calling you, and we really wish you would never leave Memphis like your dad and law because, you know, be, as my father has always said, the prick, He's always said, I'd rather be a big fish in a little pond than a little fish in a big pond. And that's always so true. If you're the big star of the fucking, of this little mountain we're standing on, I'm king of the mountain. Why do I want to get off this little mountain and try to climb that big old fucking mountain and be the king of it? I'm happy to be on top in this mountain. So, Fitz McMahon and, and Lawler were working together. So, and Paulie, somebody, I don't know, if was, someone called from ECW and wanted to know if they could get us, and Randy Hill told them no, he couldn't get us, That uh, and so then all of a sudden, Johnny fucking grunge, and, and rock on rock, here they come, baby, and I was like, fuck, they took it right there, but uh, you can't get mad at them, I mean, it, it, the men wanted to wrestle, and the fucking company wanted the, the gimmick, and they couldn't get the gimmick, so they said, fuck it, we'll make it. Yeah, and you know, and actually, and to even think even further, you got Men on a Mission, who made it to the WWF when Jerry Jarrett was in the WWF while Vince McMahon was off doing the uh, the steroid trial there. So you really see that the deep roots in Memphis really reached far, but is that something that you wish was still uh, pretty good with having the local-based wrestling, like in Memphis, you know, the way it used to be? Well, I mean, that's fucking it. I mean, fuck the, the, the way it used to be, everybody wants it. I, I, the way it used to be. I want weed to be fucking $30 an ounce instead of $30 a gram. Uh, but we all want it the way it used to be, man. You know what I'm saying? Just like I was saying, my brother-in-law showed me that video of Terry Gordy singing Seabird Way to Terry, I mean, uh, Michael Hayes to Terry Gordy. We all wish we could go back, man. We all wish we could have what we used to have. And, and uh, it's just... Uh, no, I don't give a fuck what it would be because I wouldn't be doing it because I, I am so, I'm sick of it. I'm doing this because my friend Gary Valiant, the Boogie Woogie Boy, called me and said, Jamie, will you work a benefit show on Sunday for Shane Morton, who's a very good friend of ours? He's sick and we need to raise a little money. I said, you know, I will, Gary, but a benefit means you keep the money and I get nothing and that doesn't benefit me. I'm not going to get in my fucking car and drive to fucking Lewisburg, Tennessee for nobody. I wouldn't do it for fucking nobody. I wouldn't do it for my children, my wife, my father, my mother. I'm sorry, but I love me and I fucking would rather sit home and fucking watch videos of myself in my I Love Jamie room than get out here on these fucking roads and wrestle. But he said, Jamie, I'll get you booked on the Friday and the Saturday and the Thursday and we'll, we'll get a double shot Saturday. You can make this amount of money. I'm like, okay, now, now. We gave me benefits, and Shane gets the benefits. So, uh, yeah, I just, brother, I just, I'm done, man. I, I, I tell people all the time. They call me and they send me, brother, Miss Dundee, will you work for me? And I go, yeah, but I won't show up. Uh, I'm not, you know, I fucking, I just, uh, I, getting in the fucking car to start the trip. If I start the trip, I'll make the show. Today, me and my brother-in-law planned on leaving at fucking 1230. We got in the car at 10 minutes to 5. <laughs> I was trying to just fucking come on, Jamie, get in the car. Once I hit this car, I'm fine. But getting me to walk out there and get in my car, because for the first time in my life, I like my family. And that may sound weird and fucked up to most people. Maybe you like your family. Look, when you're an entertainer and you're chasing a fucking dream, you must give up everybody and everything you love and know to get that, catch that dream. And definitely I did. And, and I can't take it back. I'm, you know, I'm so well, whatever was whatever, but I wanted to be a fucking pro wrestler on WrestleMania, and that's what I did. And you, but to be fucking Eminem, Kid Rock, fucking uh, Jelly Roll, fucking Shawn Michaels, anybody to be anybody in that kind of limelight, you must give up everybody and everything. And if you're not willing to do that, then you'll never catch that dream. Now, speaking of making money and uh, wanting to make money, USWA had a very successful feud with uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and you guys had a great feud with Rock and Roll Express. What are your memories of feuding with those legends? Oh, come on, man. That's Ricky and Robert. That's my uncle, Ricky and Robert. My brother-in-law is beautiful Bobby Eaton. My sister married Bobby when I was 13 years old. 
I have never been in my entire life, no wrestling company, my dad being the booker, Bobby being my brother-in-law, that Ricky and Robert wasn't around. And there's a few more, and some Jimmy Bannock, Dustin Rose, all the way up till he went to WCW. I can't remember a time in my life when these people weren't around. So to wrestle Ricky and Robert and for them to fucking put me and Wolfie over, it was, it, God, dude, man, I mean, there's no words that can ever fucking explain it. You know what I'm saying? Because these are men that fucking watch me grow up from the age of four or five when you could give me a dollar and tell you to go fuck yourself in Australian because when I came here at four years old, I'd speak Australian and they'd say, Ricky Morton say, here boy, give me a dollar. i say, go fuck yourself. i say, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and so my whole entire life, uh, these men were around and I fucking worshipped them and I idolized them and I wished I was them. And for them to fucking to do as the world calls it today, a job for me is unfucking believable and I'll never, ever, ever be able to fucking catch that feeling, that rush. I've done every drug on this fucking planet and there's no high like the high when the Rock and Roll Express put me over, man. You know? Uh, that's pretty, uh, that sounds pretty good. I guess uh, you just have to be there to experience uh, how great that high really is. But let's talk about another possible high and that's when you guys jumped to the WWF for a brief time. Before you guys got sent back down to USWA, what did you think about that little stint you had? You guys got a couple matches out there. I think one on Raw. What was your thoughts on getting up there finally uh, and being on uh, you know primetime Monday night? See me to me that wasn't primetime Monday night. If you was going to be a fucking wrestler, you had to have Lance Russell and Dave Brown right along ringside calling your name out on a Saturday morning in Memphis. The rest of them motherfucking companies didn't mean shit to me, so we didn't have cable TV. And and they were just, uh, you know, they were nothing, actually, because uh, I, it, they all, like, Vince Man goes to a town twice a year, maybe. We go to the same fucking town on the same night every single week for 40 years and make it draw. So, you know what I'm saying? Just, and that was, I think that was kind of the problem with me and Wolfie went to WWF. When you go to WWF, you're supposed to play the politics and be quiet, and you're a new boy, and you're supposed to hush and listen and learn. Well, fuck you. My dad had fired and hired the Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, Steve Austin, all their big fucking stars, so why was I going to shut up? Fuck them. <laughs> they were no better than me. We done fired them motherfuckers and watched them pack up a U-Haul out of their one-bedroom fucking apartments and move on down the road. So it, it, so it really wasn't fair to me either because it wasn't like Bishop McMahon said, gee, Jamie Dundee, I wonder who that is. Yeah, we'll let him do the job. Fuck. What you mean? My reputation has preceded me since I was five years old. So Vince man called me and Wolfie to be the rappers and then say, well, you all need to behave. What you mean? I am behaving. I'm being Jamie Dundee. That's, I can't turn it off. This is who I am. I ask my school teachers. I ask my fucking parents. ask the police. ask, uh, hell, ask Johnny Cash, the fucking Oak Ridge Boys. Ask them all. They, they, no, they were no better than my family. Their house was next door to ours, so that made them just fucking good maybe, but not better. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and that's, uh, I got to tell you something, that's really what I wanted you to say about uh, being prime time, I wanted you to bring it back to Memphis, because, you know, whenever we talk to any of the guys that have been down there, it always goes back to being prime time, is uh, Memphis TV, and that's, uh, I love that you uh, you put it that way. Now, let's just talk about the Nation of Domination. We talked to Wolfie D not too long ago, he wanted us to, kind of, well, not he didn't want us to say it, but I got to ask it this way, he said, when he wrote the rap, and you guys are doing the rap that the rhythm sometimes you had to feed off of Wolfie. Now, is that true? Did you have to get the rhythm off of Wolfie, or were you a natural when it came to the rapping? No. I got enough fucking only rapping I knew was on Christmas, and I'd be a present or two for a motherfucker. <laughs> because, I mean, I grew up in Hendersonville, Tennessee. My neighbors were the Oak Ridge Boys, fucking Bobby Bear, and Johnny Cash, and Conway Tweet. So what would I grow up listening to? You know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm a Hank Williams Jr. Leonard Skinner fucking redneck. I got a rebel flag tattooed on my hand. I am fucking, well, hell, me and my brother-in-law are the white trash redneck. He's the redneck part. So uh, I don't know. Wolfie was like, come on, Dundee again. We are the nation of domination. I'd say, we get paid like a motherfucker, sing us song. <laughs> I, I, I listened to the Beastie Boys uh, a little bit, the Fat Boys, uh, uh, a few little rap groups, but I grew up in Thirstonville, Tennessee, man. I don't even know if we had a fucking radio station that played rap music. We had 103.3 that played rock and roll, 
104.5 that played country. 105.9 played country. 107.5 played slower country. 109.7 played faster, older country. So, I mean, hell, I grew up in here so much. Wolfie grew up in Antioch, which, which around here is called L.A., baby, lower Antioch. It's where, you know, the, the kind of white gangster rappers came from. <laughs> well, let me but, uh, you. I mean, so, uh, he's right. I did not have I did not have no rhythm about me. But I tell you what, I could shoot a fucking deer and I, I'll fish his ass. Well, there you go. But like I said, you can pull it off. So uh, I guess that's uh, that's a work. Now you mentioned uh, WrestleMania, and the Nation of Domination thing really took off pretty fast. You guys had uh, some pretty intense uh, matches there. You got uh, Ahmed Johnson, who was kind of throwing guys around. Now Wolfie was talking about a botched spot at the Royal Rumble, but was Ahmed Johnson as reckless as they say he could be? Well, my opinion of Ahmed Johnson is he was a big old racist fucking black dude. And I, and I don't know if I can say nigger on your show, so I did. Well, you just did there, so it's all, you know, we just move on. Oh, did I? Oh, well, well I, I apologize, African-American. But, I mean, my, my point is I, I, live, I live in the United States of America. He took my, not my rebel flag, because I was born in Australia, and I really don't give a fuck about this racism war. I just want one question to all these racist uh, racism war people. Do you think the Indians celebrate Thanksgiving? The American Indian. Do you think on fucking November 24th or 27th or whatever the hell that the Indians all get together and say, yeah, it's Thanksgiving. The white man stole our fucking country. Do you think they do that? Uh, you know what? I, I don't, they could. I don't know. I'm not... Uh, you know, I, I'm not one of, you know, one of their people, so I wouldn't be able to answer that. Right. Well, I would probably say no. They'd probably say that day ain't called Thanksgiving. That day's called fucked us royally, stole our fucking land, fed us tainted meat, put us on fucking reservations. But, you know, nobody cares about that. It's, uh, you know, it's a black and white race war thing. And it just kills me, man, because I was born in Australia. My mother and father raised me Australian. Our aborigines are the black people in our country. No, I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. But... But there was no such thing as racism. Everybody accepts everybody on the planet, uh, uh, on the planet of the country of Australia because it, 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 only America, the, 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 the press today, the press and the fucking, uh, the press are, are what make it, uh, ladies and gentlemen, a white police officer, I repeat, a white police officer has shot a young black man. But they didn't tell you the young black man had a fucking pistol in the goddamn second grade class held fucking hostage. And, I, and, and believe me, that happens with white fucking men and black cops. But my point is, the press today keeps the racism such on a fucking verge, man. So close to fucking the race war, race riot thing again, that, that, that I'm like, wow, man. So I have rebel flags on me. Me and my brother-in-law, we wave them. And we're proud of our rebel flag and our heritage, which, like I said, I wasn't even born in this country. But I, it's, it's America. We're supposed to be able to freedom of speech and the right to fucking, the right to choose our religion, and, 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 and if nobody accepts it, it's okay because we're in the living United States of America, but no, man, the, the, the fucking, uh, the paparazzi has taken it way overboard and put it on a, on another level, man, which is, uh, believe me, it, it's going to happen. Well, let me ask this, Ed, because this is a million-dollar question right here, and that is the hot-button issue probably the last couple months, Hulk Hogan gets fired from the WWE's, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it, their Legends deal, Hall of Fame, all that stuff. He's gone. He's wiped from the record. But is he the one? Should Hulk Hogan really be vilified, or is it something that maybe he's being overlooked is Vince McMahon and maybe his history of things that he's done? Would you say Vince McMahon could be classified in that racist category? There is not a motherfucker on this planet that can tell me that a white person on this planet that has never said the word nigger. And there's not a fucking black dude on this planet or black woman on this planet that ain't ever said honky ass, cracker ass bitch. Not one ever on this fucking planet can somebody tell me they have never said that because they're full of shit. Whether it be behind closed doors, by themselves, during sex, whatever it may be. Nobody can tell me. So for you, I saw another thing. Uh, some chick in WWF just got fired because she had a fucking My Little Pony on her Facebook page with a swastika on it. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Her yeah, boyfriend, Seth, Seth Rollins' is old lady. What's her name? Yeah, Zara or Zara, whatever her name is, yep. Okay. 
Now, listen, if you're going to fucking fire her from a picture that was fucking three years ago on a Facebook page, they need to fire the whole fucking crew, the camera crew, the fucking fisherman needs to fire himself. Because, by God, there's not a motherfucker on this planet that ain't done shit like that, never thinking about the consequences in the future. If we're going to get that strict and that fucking ridiculous, such as they have taken the fucking rebel flag down, no more rebel flag. Well, if that's the case, you must take every fucking flag from right now today and fucking swipe them out. There's never been none of them flags ever existed and make a whole new flag. And I guarantee you can't make a flag that doesn't offend some fucking body. If you put fucking gay rainbow on it, the rebel flag on it, the Black Panthers on it, if you put every fucking religion, everything in the world on one flag, somebody would still be offended by it. And if that's where we're at today in our country, then, brother, stop me, go back to Australia, where the men are men and the sheep are nervous. <laughs> now, if I could uh, bring it back a little bit to the WWF, and uh, just had to mention, just because I know uh, they, I wouldn't say they skipped you, but they had an awesome moment where, you know, you guys kind of did a 360 when they gave you the Doomsday device, but what was it like working with the Legion of Doom? Come on, man. This is my favorite part about See, I grew up in the wrestling business, so I saw the fucking Legion of Doom had their first match against the Midnight Express, my brother-in-law. Uh, you know, I, I, these men are the fucking road warriors. They have beat everybody, including God and Moses. I believe they beat God and Moses back in 91, right there in the fucking, right there in the Madison Square Garden. And when me and Wolfie worked that match with them, and we got a fucking big magazine ride up in the whole world. I'm like, hey, how the fuck you got beat by the Road Warriors in a fucking minute? Bitch. They wrestled the Road Warriors, motherfucker, and they had beat God and Moses in three and a half minutes. We were 165 pounds and 180-pound fucking two boys. Of course the Road Warriors would beat us in 45 seconds. But they couldn't. If I would have got my karate, my kung fu on Hawk, that match would have been over, baby. But Hawk was quicker than the fucking Maverick man, and he clotheslined me, brother. But it was great. I fucking, that was, once again, one of my greatest moments. Fuck WrestleMania, fuck Vince Man, fuck the WWF. I worked with the Road Warriors, and I worked with the motherfucking rock and roll, baby. After that, the rest of everybody else is fucking irrelevant. Everybody else is just another match. Definitely, definitely, and, and I just got to mention the, the Nation Domination also was quite an eclectic group. If you think about it, I mean, you had Salvio Vega, you had Crush, you had Clarence Mason, Gilo Brown at one point, and of course Ron Simmons, aka Farouk. What do you think about uh, Ron Simmons playing such a you know like a black militant after being the All American World Champion in WCW? But see that, as I say, that is what this world really is whether people want to fucking admit it or not. Ron Simmons is proud to be black. Ron Simmons loves to be black. I love Ron Simmons. Fucking Ron Simmons and me and Wolfie laughed and fucking carried on. Matter of fact, I just saw him about six months ago somewhere in that area. Right here in Nashville, they did a thing with that, uh, that, that fucking guy was running Nashville or whatever, and they brought Brian and Wolfie in an angle. Then they brought me and Wolfie in to beat up Brian, and then they, Brian brought a partner in, and he brought Farouk. And it was fucking great. I got to see Ron... But Ron has always been a big, bad, beautiful black motherfucker, and he'll tell you. But that's okay, because he's black. But if a white, mother, black dude does it, it's racist. Oh, y'all racist. They're not, not racist. I would fuck Beyonce. I would fucking eat the shit out of fucking Beyonce's ass. She's so fucking fine to me. I just don't get along with fucking 18-year-old to 30-year-old black dudes with gold teeth that think they're rappers. And that's just the truth. Uh, I think Alicia Keys is fucking gorgeous. I think Beyonce, oh, I just, I think Jay-Z is the ugliest square-headed fucking nigga I've ever seen, but I ain't mad at them. You know, they got more money than God, but so I can't be a racist. There's just no way I can be racist. Yeah, what, what led to the departure from the WWE? Excuse me? What led to the uh, departure, the release? <laughs> Oh, well, it could have been uh, Jamie Dundee fucked up on ecstasy, buying the Xanax seven hours late with a five or eight on a cat bill. Could have been that. Could have been, could have been fucking uh, Jamie and Wolfie fucking disappearing and rent a car and fucking doing cocaine for days long. Could have been that. Could, could have been a lot of things. Now, I believe it was just uh, the, uh, that the, the Nation of Domination had run its course and it was time to get to 
race. It was time to get the Mexicans with the Mexicans, the blacks with the blacks, and the whites with the whites, because that's exactly what they did. Yes, yeah, that's exactly what they did. And then after that, you basically went back, well, not went back, but went to a place you almost went to years before, and that was ECW. You worked with uh, Mikey Ripperick and Spike Dudley, the Dudley Boys, I believe the Eliminators. What was it like in ECW with Paul Heyman? Uh, this is how ECW works. Uh, snort one, smoke one, shoot one, or drink one. You're going to do one, you can't go to the ring. But see, Paul Heyman's a fucking G-boy that kept all the money. Paul Heyman, old Chris Candido, fucking Bam Bam Bigelow, Sabu, Jack and Dolly, every motherfucker there except Tommy Dreamer, he owed hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, to me, that's your fucking fault. If you're dumb enough to let a man owe you $100,000, then why wouldn't he? When we went to ECW, it was actually the same time we was in WWF because the day we walked out and fucking quit, well, and, and we, and, as I say, quit, old half a face fucking retard Jim Ross came. We were like, damn, we didn't get my tickets. We're going to upgrade your tickets. He didn't even have the fucking balls to say, look, Jamie, you and fucking Wolfie are two crazy bastards and y'all are fired. He, he took our tickets back and was fucking upgrading them, is what he told me. So me and Candido go to get something to eat at the fucking Kenny Rogers, and Candido said, God damn it, Jay, I'm going to miss you, man. And I go, what? He goes, yeah, brother, I'm going to miss you. Well, we're, we're supposed to wrestle with the Road Warriors that night and get beat in a minute and a half. They just came and took four plane tickets. Oh, wait a minute. You should have said that, Candido. Oh, no, Jamie, please don't say that. I said, fuck you. I got to say something, bro. And I said, I'm not going to say you said, but I got to say something. So, of course, that's when me and Whoopi blow up and fuck y'all. We leave the building. I, we go to Hawking Animal and say, hey, brother, you were Hawking Animal. And you have beat Moses and fucking Jesus in a fucking three and a half minutes. Don't think this is not about us wanting to do a job for you, dude, because you are fucking God to us. But these motherfuckers just took four plane tickets which is a lot of money to me, and fucking going to beat us in a minute and a half, we can't do it. And Hawk said, no, Dundee, take your money and run. I said, thank you, sir, that's all I needed to know, and we left. And, of course, fucking Tom Pritchard, the Dr. Tom, who I love, part of my family, is fucking piece of shit, uh, ass-kissing fucking brother. Old Brucey boy fucking came out, and he, him and Sean came out to the car. But like I said, my father gave Shawn Michaels his very first match ever. Little old Jose Lothario said, Bill, will you look at this kid? And Louisiana Bill said, sure, I will. And so, Sean said, what's going on, Jay? I said, what's going on? These fucking jack-offs are taking four plane tickets from me and think I'm going to do this job. They lost their mind. And Sean said, really, Bruce? That, that, that's how we did this? And Bruce was like, well, I don't know that, but you know if you walk out of this door, Jamie, you're, you're never going to be able to work here again. And I said, who the fuck are you talking to? My old man made that lineup when he fired every fucking star in your dressing room, motherfucker. Fuck you. We're leaving. And then Sean said, I tell you what, Jamie, you come back in here and you fucking do this job for the Royal Warriors, I will guarantee you get your money for the next four weeks like you're supposed to. And I said, Sean, I believe you, my friends. And I walked back in and we did that fucking match. But at that time, we're working for, for Paulie. So I say to Paulie, Paulie, because we're working on top against the Eliminators because the Eliminators haven't never beat PG-13. And we brought the Memphis tapes and we show where we beat them in Memphis. We beat them in Louisville. We beat them in Evansville. They never beat us, blah, blah, blah. And so Paul E. says, Jamie, everybody knows this is a work up here. Brother, if you do this job, your job is fine in my company. Now that I'm 45 years old and I understand, he couldn't say to me, Jamie, don't do this fucking job for the Road Warriors or you're not working for my Eliminators because he would have been fired. So it makes sense now, but I said, if I do this fucking job, do I still have a job in your company? He said, you do. I said, thank you. We went to the ring. We did the job. We left. We flew back in ECW on fucking Friday night. I'm first match against Spike Dudley. Wolfie's second match against Mikey Whitbread. I'm like, what? Oh, Polly, what the fuck is, what is this? He said, Jamie, I told you you still had a job, but I can't put you with the Eliminators, bro. And then it all dawned on me. Ah, oh, fuck. Any dancer couldn't tell me if he just said, Jamie, don't do the job, he'd have been fired. So that's the politics shit, but I never understood politics. But it, they, 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 I mean, I could not believe the WWF, the fuck they had to do such a, you know what I'm saying? How they did it was like fucking a, a elementary school kid getting fucking his, his lunch taken. I mean, I was like, really, man, they're not fucking, but I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. We, 
We party. <laughs> we, we do whatever the fuck we want. We wrestle Monday night for WWF, Tuesday night, Wednesday night for fucking Lawler, Thursday night for fucking ECW, or excuse me, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for Lawler, Friday night ECW, Saturday night ECW, Sunday night Smoky Mountain, start again. Fuck. We didn't give a shit. PG-13 uh, was everywhere and, and anywhere, and you also, at one point, you guys went to WCW with the Young Dragon, three count. What was it like in WCW? Was it a lot of dysfunction? Uh, no, because Jeff. Jeff was a hometown boy, and I've always said me and Jeff don't get along, and I don't like Jeff. And Well, the more I think and the more I talk, God damn it, Jeff Jarrett got me a lot of jobs. And so, hey, Jeff, he ain't too bad to me, bro. <laughs> hmm. But, I mean, Jeff. Me and Wolfie were working, working, uh, we were working security for a company called Rock Solid Security out of Nashville at the Nashville fucking Municipal Auditorium. And they said, Jeff Jarrett's coming in, in seven days, six days or something just uh, people to buy advance tickets to WCW. So I said, Wolfie, let's guard him. Well, we said, I'm not guarding him. I said, yes, let's guard the motherfucker. So when the blimbo pulled up, I opened the door and said, follow me, Mr. Jarrett. He said, what in the fuck are y'all doing? He said, making eight bucks an hour. Follow me, sir. <laughs> so we went and fucking sat him down at the table, and we stayed there shooting the shit, and that was no shit on a Wednesday night, uh, no, uh, Thursday night. He goes, are y'all really, this is really what you're doing? He said, y'all work WCW? And we said, well, sure. He said, you start Monday night, Monday night Nitro. Cool, we're there. So we did Nitro, and then that's when they put us with three count and fucking, uh, and the, and, the, and the Japs, the Young Dragons, yeah, that was fun. Jamie Noble and all that, that was, a, that was a good time. Did you expect to sign a contract with WCW, or you never really wanted to stay too long? No, I never expected to sign a contract nowhere, because I'm from the old school of wrestling. The motherfucker tell you he's going to pay you a certain amount, you show up, you wrestle, and you get that amount. I don't ever remember my dad or having a contract at all, or nobody having a contract in the world. Bobby, nobody. You just stayed, and when you as a wrestler also knew it's fucking time to go, and... You could just tell, you know, it's time for me to go, and you would move on down the road. But the good thing was, back in them days, you know, some so-and-so would call, just say, Bill Dundee, he'd he call up to fucking Jerry Jerry and say, hey, I'm up here in Louisiana, I've got two good kids, PG-13, let me send them there for two years, and you send me the rock and roll. And Jerry say, well, that'd be great, Bill. And so everybody got to work. Everybody changed around and worked around, and it was it was a good thing. Now, eventually, and unfortunately, PG-13 would have to break up and go their separate ways. Wolfie D went one way, J.C. Ice went the other. Why the breakup of PG-13, and where did you end up after that? I went to prison, and Wolfie went to OBW. <laughs> so, I don't know, I was like, fuck, I'm going to prison. Uh, child support. <laughs> in the state of Kentucky, if you get high and don't pay your child support, they'll put your ass in jail, motherfucker. And is that where the, you know, quote-unquote, the convict gimmick came from? Yeah, very much so, because, like I said, in the world I grew up in, Memphis on Monday night, Louisville on Tuesday night, Evansville on Wednesday night, Nashville on Saturday night, them people ain't wrestling fans. Them people's your fucking family, because they're in the same seat every week for fucking 20 years. They know everything about everybody. And so everybody knew where I was. So don't insult the people's intelligence. So when I came out, the convict's out on work release, and he wants to rest. Hmm. Now, obviously, you know, eventually after you worked at many different places, but uh, one place in particular, uh, I believe it was MCW, you worked with uh, Doug Gilbert, who obviously is uh, the brother of the legendary Eddie Gilbert. What was it like working with uh, Doug Gilbert? known Doug my whole entire life. I've known Doug. Fuck. But like I said, we were a mafia. My father hung out with wrestlers. My mother hung out with wrestlers' wives. And I hung out with wrestlers' kids. And if you weren't a fucking wrestler, a wrestler's wife or a wrestler's kids, we didn't know you. And because that's that's just how it went. Because, and even in the, in, in when we were growing up, our, my dad and his dad, Tommy, and fucking all the Jerry Jarrett, all the same. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't tell you how the wrestling business went. They didn't smarten you up to the fucking wrestling business. When you have your first match, you think this guy's gonna try to beat you up. <laughs> they, they they still never said, okay, kid. They told you you were gonna win, but they didn't say fucking. You know this isn't working. We were. They didn't. They didn't say none of that shit. They fucking because I guess back then they they, they you, you had to earn it. 
the old timers would beat the fucking young boys up so they would quit. And so I've known Doug my whole entire life. Me and Doug are literally family. I still speak to Doug Gilbert at least three or four times a month. And and, and same with Brian Christopher, same with well Wolfie because Wolfie became Wolfie got in our fucking circle, you know. But but I mean as far as wrestlers, I speak to my Doug Gilbert, Brian Christopher very rarely because Brian's still chasing a dream and good luck to him, bro. I hope you catch him one more time, but I think it's over for all of us because Vince Man knows that if you tell JCI, hey, I want your character to go out here and I want him to fucking wear a tutu. Well, you know, I'm going to say, fuck you. JCI wouldn't wear a tutu. Matter of fact, he'd smack you in the mouth with your tutu. But that's what he wants, like you said, cookie-cutter guys that will say, yes, sir, Mr. McMahon, to put on a tutu. Shane Hills became the hurricane because Shane Hill always thought he was a superhero. You you, you have to believe what you are to, to fucking draw money. And if you don't believe it, the people won't believe it, so you can't sell it. So I can't portray, Jamie Dundee can never portray a guy that's, that is quiet or a guy that doesn't cuss or a guy that is, you know, like, like a preacher. I can never portray a preacher because that's not who I am as a person. And I can't sell that to you, but this man would just... Stick a preacher gimmick on anybody, or stick a uh, you know a tutu gimmick, or and that's what's wrong with our business today. The people aren't saying, "Hey, I am this person. This is who I am. This is my alter ego." And Vince McMahon is telling them what to put on and what to wear, and it doesn't work because then people don't believe it and they don't feel it. Now, as we uh, we start to wind it down here, just always got to ask because you've wrestled everywhere, all the way around the world. You were U.S. Uh, WA middleweight champion, TV champion, 16-time tag team champion. But do you have a favorite match in your career, or maybe even matches? And you know what I've always said my whole life when you say 16-time tag team champion, Ric Flair's a 35-time world champion. That just means I lost 15 times. (laughs) (laughs) Ric Flair's lost 33 fucking times. I don't know if it makes you good. Or if it makes you fucking, you lost 33 times, dude. Because you wouldn't be a 35-time world champion if you hadn't lost 33. So I always just said I'm the world champion. Not 16, 15, 11, because that just lets you know that I lost fucking 14 times. <laughs> so, But that is the difference in back then and today. Today they feel the more they fucking uh, 475-time world champion. Well, you lost 474 of them. See, to me... I, that that's the difference in the wrestling business then and now. But my favorite match ever, I just have to say, the Rock and Roll Express putting us over in Louisville Gardens. And and and, and here here's what, even though it was a Smoky Mountain, blah, 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 the people chose, and the fucking people chose me and Wolfie over the Rock and Roll Express, which was a fucking just an honor and a respect. And then second of all, for them to put us over. Same as... Andre with Hogan, same as Hogan with the fucking Warrior brother. Hey, I, that's another thing, the Warrior. I bet he regrets saying that fucking interview. <laughs> when I die and go to the fucking big sky, I want all the little wars, and he went fucking two days later or something. Yep. Basically, yeah. See, be, be careful in the wrestling world what you wish for, motherfuckers, because you may get it. But Rock and Roll yeah. Express definitely... And being on WrestleMania, that those two, I mean, come on, that's WrestleMania, that's the Super Bowl of my sport. There is only a very handful of men that have ever fucking walked the aisle of WrestleMania, and guess what, motherfuckers, I'm one of them. <laughs> so. <laughs> now, would you say the Rock and Roll Express is your favorite opponent, or maybe was it the uh, LOD, or who would you say is your favorite opponent of all time? Oh, man, my, my favorite opponent of all time would have to be my... And this is just going back to the knowledge and what I learned, Danny Davis. When Danny Davis, when me and Wolfie became PG-13, Danny Davis took the time out of his life and out of his career to work with Wolfie in singles and me in singles and teach us wrestling. You, you know, like he would say, one, two. I didn't know what the fuck that meant. He punched me in the face. One, two. One, two. And I'd say, oh, and I'd punch you back. He'd go, that's two. Ah, little, you know, te- teach you things that, if if he would have came and said, Jamie, we're going to do this thing called one-two, I punch you, you punch me back, wouldn't, it wouldn't have looked good. So he just said one-two and punched me in the fucking head real hard. I'm like, fuck, Danny, one-two. And he would say it and he punched me in the head until I realized to punch him back in the fucking head. 
and then that that is that is the psychology part. The psychology can't be taught. It's something you must learn. That is what's wrong with wrestling today. The boys today will get in the back and say, This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna do this at duck my close eye, hit those arm drag, whatever it be. But what if the people aren't fucking saying nothing? What if the people aren't cheering? What if the people are just quiet? They don't know how to change it. They don't know they don't know what to do. They they don't understand. They they don't hear the people. They just go over the motions and the moves. And I believe my whole entire life, my father has said, we can teach chimpanzees how to do this. They just don't know when and why to do it. <laughs> That's a very, very, very good point. Now, uh, one big question I got for you. What is the lasting legacy or the stamp of Jamie Dundee, a.k.a. J.C. Ice, on the wrestling business? Well, it just depends on who you ask. Politically correct people? We'll say it's a bad stamp. It's a no good stamp. It's, maybe it's like a Billy Jack Haynes stamp. <laughs> I, I'm with Billy Jack Haynes on this fucking. We want our money for. But look, man, you can't go back, brother. And Johnny Unitas and fucking all them guys in the fifties and sixties when they played in the Super Bowls in the early seventies, they made fifty bucks, a hundred bucks. These men are making tens of millions. You can't go back, man. You paved the way and you did well. Thank you, Billy Jack. Hey, you crazy fucker, but move on, brother. You're never going to fucking make it happen. The reason there's not a union in the fucking wrestling business, you know why there's not a union? Because if you call The Rock and say, Hey, Rock, I want you to give Jamie Dundee some of $15 million this year because we're a union. He's going to tell you to go fuck yourself. And you cannot get a whole group of people to stand together if you alienate four or five, if you say, hey, come here, kid, I'm me being the boss, come here, kid, I'm going to fuck what percent, I'm going to give you 200000 a year. It's 150000 more than you're making. Do you think you're going to join my union or go to work for the man? Now, what would you say on, on the positive side? What would you say? You know, so like a fan, like myself, and like so many other people that are a fan of PG-13, what would you say the lasting legacy of yourself would be? Hey, PG-13 was what it was. It was fucking the right time and the right place. I always said to Wolfie, we need to be the Rock and Roll Express of the 80s. We need to be the Rock and Roll Express of the 90s. And that's what we were. As Wolfie and we said in our little rap videos, you're a fucking Atari, we're Super Nintendo. Yeah, you got to change the times, but also... That there is no fucking good side to the wrestling business, brother. I have lived it my whole entire life. I have so many fucking family and friends that I call my fucking brothers dead because the wrestling business will discard you. It will discard you quick, quicker than any other fucking sport or business in this world. If you have a child and they watch Monday Night Raw and they want to be wrestlers, fucking stop it. Never, ever let them. I believe it was John Cena that said to his old lady, no way would I have a kid with you. Have you ever seen the second-generation wrestlers? They're all fucked up. Hmm. And he, wasn't, he ain't wrong, brother. The business has nothing good to come out of it in the end because you know how hard it is to fall from grace, man? When you're on fucking WrestleMania, you're on top of this world, brother. The world fucking touches you. They love you. They tell you how great you are. And five years later, and nothing. And it, it, it's hard to separate a fantasy world from a real world in the wrestling business. And that's why, look, look at all of this. No way can you compare the good to the fucking trauma and the fucking bad in wrestling. Never. Wrestling started out as a good thing. Started out in a circus and in a fair, and you did a few little fun. But now it's gone to the point that it's so, I mean, well, look at that girl. That, that, that What's her old man's name? Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins is old lady. I bet she's fucking contemplating suicide. I would bet you a dollar to a donut, especially when you're that young, because you don't know how to fucking get out of it. Just like Sabu. I read a thing on him the other day and all that bullshit. Come on, man. Sabu has made $100,000 a fucking night before. Now he's working for fucking two or three hundred. It's a shame. It's it's terrible, man. The fucking wrestling business is just a curse, bro. And if you have a child wanting to be a wrestler, do not fucking let them be a wrestler. Because the only people that get rich are the promoters, and the rest of them are fucking statistics or fucking stories of what used to be. Hmm. Now, before we let you go, just where can we find... J.C. Ice, a.k.a. Jamie uh, Dundee, all over the Internet. Where can we find you if uh, fans want to you know, get in touch with you or, or they want to follow you or, or you know, if they want to see where you're wrestling at? 
Where can they find uh, I have a Twitter, I have a Facebook, I have a fucking Instagram, I have them all. And I don't get on them ever, because every time I get on them, it's just drama and bad shit about the wrestling business. And I just mean that you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, man. When I when I lived in the wrestling business and my world was wrestling, wrestling was fun. And it was a fucking blast. And I couldn't wait to get there. And I couldn't wait to see all them fucking fine women. And I couldn't wait to get paid. And I couldn't wait to go to the next day. But it's because at that time, they were telling me how great I was. And once, I mean, just look at look at all the pitiful motherfuckers, man. I just, I don't know how else to put it. but And I hate to be a fucking bummer, but I, I want to tell the truth. The wrestling business is no good, man. The wrestling business is fucking no good unless you are the promoter. Or... One of the right-hand men, which is what, maybe five? Five men out of fucking thousands? I mean, how, how many how many people can fucking OD in hotel rooms and it just be wrestling? I, don't, I just, I, I don't understand. There should be a fucking wayward home for wrestlers. There should be, there should be something. Luckily for me, I was just so fucking cocky. I quit doing dope because I told my wife, who was just my girlfriend, time, bitch, I'm Jamie Dundee. I do any fucking thing I want. And one day became three, and three days was a week, and a week was a month, and all of a sudden I had to smoke crack in a month. Why, fuck. Then pride kicked in, and here we are today, seven years later. Don't get me wrong, I smoked the fuck out of weed, and I pop floor tabs, and I drink beer. I'm no saint. But I, I don't do the things that are going to kill me in a hotel room, and people are just going to read because I was expected. And it's pitiful, it's terrible, man. I, they just discard you and throw you away, and you. I don't know how, I don't know, man. It makes me sad. Every day I fucking get up and I'm sad about the wrestling business. I live in the real world now. I have a wife and my beautiful daughter and we go to gymnastics and movies and we go to the fucking mall and we, and people don't know me that much anymore and they don't bother me and touch me and, and, and you know what? It's kind of nice, bro. It, it really is, but it's so hard when you're a young person to separate the fame from the fucking real. I catch you on that and this has been a great interview. I uh, absolutely been entertained this entire time. You are great. Uh, JCI, Jamie Dundee, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate your time. Brothers, I appreciate the time, too, and I just, you know, I hate to be fucking Debbie Downer, but I just want to tell you, wrestling business ain't no good. But if wrestling's in your town, support it. All right, brothers, thank you, man. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you very much.